From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Over the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing prominent Australians who have written about their vision for the country in the Saturday paper. We'll be examining how COVID-19 will reshape the key issues facing our nation. Today, I'm speaking to Victoria's first Aboriginal senator, Lydia Thorpe. She talks about the challenges of 2020 and what we can learn from the communities that she represents. Lydia, in your piece for the Saturday paper, you wrote that even in the hardest times, 2020 has made us stronger. How so? Uh, I think it's connected people more than ever. And, you know, I see that in my own backyard in Preston and what I've seen on social media and, and in the in the general media is that people are actually opening up and they're they're sharing their their love and their care and their resources with those that need it most so i think there's a lot of lessons that we've learnt in 2020 caring for country is another one we just can't go back to you know the new normal we've got to actually create a society that's that's equal and fair and and caring you know and this is what I learnt in in all my life is from uh, from trauma from situations of of hardship that uh, Aboriginal people grow stronger from that we learn those lessons and we band together to make our community stronger and we we just look after one another Mm-hmm. And how have you personally experienced the pandemic as as it unfolded? Um, I've had highs and lows. Whilst you know, I'm excited to now be become a senator. It doesn't change the fact that I have my own struggles in my own family and my own community, and that I'm still expected to support a lot of our community members who are really struggling. So there there have been times where I've been really overwhelmed. We've had a number of suicides during this pandemic. We've had, you know, a lot of violence against women, women in these vulnerable situations who haven't been able to leave. So I've been contacted by those those people experiencing that and you know, there there was one morning there where I couldn't get out of bed. I had to have my sister come around and, and tell me to get out of bed because I was just so overwhelmed by people's experiences and trauma that they were experiencing at the time. And on that day I you know, I realized, okay, I, I can't I can't get to that low. I've got to keep fighting. I've got to get up and continue to do what I have to do so that these people aren't left behind and continue to raise their voices and and change the system. The system was designed to only benefit privileged white people. It wasn't designed to um, protect our most vulnerable So I feel that it's also an opportunity to look at our structures, break down those barriers that are discriminative and um, not giving everyone the same opportunity. Mm. And 
these uh, these ideas about systemic change and and wanting to look at at the very structure of our society, how do they link to your identity as an Aboriginal woman? Well, my identity as an Aboriginal woman, a Gunai Gunditjmara and Japarung woman, comes from the the oldest continuing living culture on earth and with that comes responsibility in terms of caring for one another and caring for our country particularly our our elders and i believe that the lessons from our old people and our ancestors and our land are something that the wider Australian population can can not only just learn from but benefit from. If people knew how to look after their old people in a way that we have for thousands and thousands of generations, then we wouldn't see what we're seeing today with the aged care crisis, for example. If people were more connected to the land in which they live and understood the the sacredness of that and the stories contained in that land, then I believe that they would want to protect it just as much as we have for thousands and thousands of generations. When you talk about systemic change and changing the structure of our society, can you tell me any more about what you think should go and what you think should replace it? Well, I think that for too long that, you know, the the stolen wealth has only benefited very few people in this country and that we need to share that that wealth so that no one is left behind. And that means that, you know, these big companies and, and corporations and mining industry and the, and the people who benefit from those should be paying for their luxury and for their extraction of country that's not theirs and that wealth should be evenly distributed amongst all Australians so that people aren't going hungry, they're not going homeless, and they have, you know, their basic human rights met. That's one example. I suppose another example is how we incarcerate people in this country. The proportion of people in jail per head of population in the Northern Territory is third highest on the planet. Indigenous youth are 52 times more likely to become incarcerated than non-Indigenous youth. I mean, we, we look at the situation of, of children in this country. You know, we're locking up children from the age of 10. Children who should be in grades 4, grades 5 and grade 6 have been caught up in the quicksand of the criminal justice system. Hundreds of kids are being taken away from their families and locked up in prison cells, usually the size of a car parking spot. We're fighting to have that legislation change in every state and territory so that we're raising the age of criminal responsibility to 14. If that were to happen tomorrow, we would immediately release 600 children under the age of of 14. I want adults to stop calling 10-year-old kids in jail. I want my future to be out on land with strong culture and language. During the pandemic, it's been mainly Sudanese and, and Aboriginal people that have been fined as part of the, the lockdown laws because we're, you know, we're profiled more than anybody else and we're targeted more than anybody else. So those racist behaviours and policies that really affect our most vulnerable people need need to be 
not just changed, I think that they should be abolished. We'll be back after this. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Lydia, you were sworn in as a senator this week, but before that you were an activist for your community. How have you navigated that shift? Has there been a big difference between those two roles for you? Uh, Actually, no. Um, Maybe there should be, but I I just feel that I'm just doing the same job as I've always done. I just have this new title, which um, I'm still struggling with, which is Senator. And you can put any label on me or any title on me, but at the end of the day, I'm still fighting for the same things. I still have the same struggles as I did as an activist. And I'll take all of that into this place so that people have a better understanding. I think too many people in that place learn this stuff in in universities and through their degrees and not on the ground. So I will take that on the ground experience and try and educate these people who have been in their privileged little bubble for the entire time that they've been in parliament. I want to burst that bubble and give them a a bit of um, smack of reality, if you like, into what it's actually like on the ground for people who are struggling. As well as the pandemic, the thing that has defined 2020 is the Black Lives Matter movement. I wonder how much change you think that movement has affected in Australia. Look, I think it's been a real wake up call for this country. People were quite happy to be um, surprised and and shocked by a, a man who was killed in front of the world by the system that oppresses black people. But when they realise that, hey, this is actually happening in our own backyard right here, that was a rude awakening for a lot of people and and we still see people in absolute denial that it's a problem here. But I I think there's more people that were awoken from the Black Lives Matter movement and I believe that our movement has grown as a result. Mm. And so do you think then that it has actually caused Australians to to have a meaningful look at what's happening in our own backyard? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. And that's why I believe treaty is also an opportunity to inform people about because I believe that that can be the mechanism that will bring people along on that journey. 
Let's talk more about treaty because you've said that you don't support constitutional recognition and, and a voice to parliament. Can you tell me more about why that is? Well, I suppose it's, it's about sequence. So in terms of the Uluru Statement, it says voice, truth, treaty. Well, I'm flipping those priorities to be truth-telling first the country needs to own up to what's happened in the last 240 years. We need that acknowledged and we need to break down those systems that have been created in that time and and tell the truth. There's so many people in this country that have no idea of the truth of this country or, or they're in denial of the truth of this country. So we need to go down this truth-telling path so that we can mature as a nation. And then treaty has to come next. So once people understand the truth and and they acknowledge it and they embrace it, then we can talk about how we move forward together as a nation. And, and once we've had that conversation, then I think constitutional recognition or a voice to parliament can be part of a treaty negotiation. There's there's many parts of our society where we need to negotiate a better outcome and constitutional recognition can be one of those if the people want that as their priority. Mm, but you're saying treaty has to come first? Absolutely. Lydia, what type of country do you think that Australia and I mean that as a, I guess, a, <laughs> as a collective, Australia wants to be and, and, and what would be needed to take us there? I think that in, in people's hearts and minds, people want a country that we can all be proud of, that we can all celebrate and where we're not leaving anyone behind. There's no reason why we should have people who are hungry in our own country or poor in our own country. We have so much to offer as a nation that we should not have people in those situations. And I believe that that everyone would agree with that. We need to have a flag that represents us all. We need to have an anthem that represents us all. And we need to have a parliament that represents us all. And I mean, who would who would not want that? We want to be part of a celebration of what this nation represents, but what do we represent? I don't think anyone is really comfortable about what we actually represent. Lydia, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. This is the first in our series of conversations with prominent Australians reimagining the future after the virus. Make sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, New South Wales' streak of 12 days without a locally acquired coronavirus case has come to an end. The state reported three cases in Sydney yesterday and they do not appear to be linked, according to the government. 
Pop-up testing clinics have been established across the city as contact tracers work to limit any potential spread. And Victorian health authorities have asked 177 people and their close contacts to self-quarantine in Kilmore to stop the town's outbreak from getting worse. There are two active cases in Kilmore. Both people caught the virus after a visitor from Melbourne visited a local cafe while infectious. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.